Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of filicide and sexual coercion. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Tantalus, son of Zeus and one of the richest kings in Greece, was having a wild evening in the kitchen. He threw spices into pots and herbs into cauldrons, while his son, Pelops, stood stunned in the doorway. He had never seen his father move so energetically. Normally, Tantalus was a quiet man, sullen, restless, stuck to his throne like a briar. The most he'd do in a day was throw a cruel jibe at Pelops or a servant boy. Father, you're cooking? Why? Ha! Just so I wanted to see. The gods themselves are coming for dinner. I invited them, and I'm going to give them the feast of a lifetime. Come in, help me chop. Pelops stepped hesitantly toward a pile of greens, and a strange grin spread across Tantalus's face. Shaking his head, he gestured toward another stack of vegetables right beside him. Pelops approached, but he didn't start chopping. Instead, he looked at his father anxiously. Something strange was happening here, and he had an unpleasant feeling he'd better understand what as quickly as possible. Why are the gods coming here, father? You're so often your father's guest on Mount Olympus, where you eat ambrosia. Nothing in our kitchen's cauldrons will be as good. We'll only disappoint the gods. Oh, Pelops, I'm not aiming to please the gods. I'm aiming to fool them. I'm invited to Zeus's table, but they treat me like a toy. They think they're so wise and all-knowing. I may be mortal, but I am Zeus's son, and I know those foolish Olympians. I've known them since the day I was born. They're not so wise as they think, and tonight I'll prove it, once and for all. Prove they're fallible? They'll send you to Hades for even trying, father. That's what separates you and me, boy. You're weak and a coward. I know my own worth. But how could you possibly do it? By feeding them human meat, my son, and having them eat it like the arrogant fools they are. With that, Tantalus picked up a large carving knife. Pelops looked from his father's face to the blade and back again, his stomach sinking in horror. But it was too late to run. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. 
Today, we're exploring the story of Pelops, the mythical founder of the Olympics. But before he made that name for himself, he lived through a series of dangerous, sometimes disturbing challenges. This week, we'll meet him as a young man, struggling against his father for his life and navigating the world of lusty, vengeful gods. Next week, we'll follow him as he strikes out in the mortal world, determined to find his own earthbound glory. Coming up, Pelops's dark early years. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The spectacle of the Olympic Games is always fraught with drama, from doping scandals to battered national pride to a culture of relentless one-upmanship. And yet the public always tunes in for more. The test of strength, resolve, and skill surges on, bringing the world together in celebration of human potential and glory. In the ancient world, the game's role as a uniting force was all the more powerful. In fact, all across ancient Greece, the games came to symbolize unity. And according to legend, the credit for these illustrious games all goes to a prince named Pelops. Pelops's extraordinary adventures are a staple of classic Greek and later Roman texts. His first notable mention is in Homer's Iliad, written sometime in the 8th century BCE. In the 5th century BCE, his story developed in the works of important lyricists like Pindar and the so-called father of tragedy himself, Aeschylus. But the story these ancient writers tell isn't the straightforward heroic epic you might expect for the founder of the Olympics. Pelops' story is fraught with strange, disturbing twists and turns. Turns that make his final role as a harbinger of unity truly impressive and poignant. Those twists and turns go all the way back to Pelops' youth in the grand ancient holdings of his father, Tantalus, a mortal son of Zeus and king in Anatolia. It was a balmy summer day, and a soft, gentle breeze wafted through the palace halls. But Pelops's mood was not so mild. In fact, his heart was racing, and not just because he was running from courtyard to courtyard looking for his father. He had an important announcement to make today. Father, there you are. I wanted to talk to you. I've been thinking. <laughs> what a wonderful development. I... <sighs> I've honed my skills with a sword and spear. My skills with a chariot. I want to go out into the world, face vicious monsters, and prove my worth. I want to be a hero. I'm getting too old to sit in the palace eating dates with you. Too old for me? Am I so boring? No, 
Of course not, Father. I... But I... <laughs> Obviously, you won't be beating any challenges with rhetoric. And don't think I haven't been watching you practice your fighting. I'll tell you when you're ready to slay a monster. It's not today. Pelops stared at his father, feeling Tantalus's words sink in like daggers to the chest. He felt his face turning red. He turned his heel abruptly and left briskly, almost at a run. He wouldn't let his father see him cry. Pelops had been prepared for this announcement for weeks, and he was never so tongue-tied with anyone else. Tantalus just knew how to make him fumble. It was maddening. Anyway, if his father hated him so much, why did he care if he left? Surely they'd both be happier with Pelops far from the palace, far from Anatolia. Ever since mother had died, their home had felt desolate and cold. She hadn't made Tantalus kind, but she'd been kind enough for two. Her love had cushioned the blow of Tantalus's cruelty, and she'd been good at distracting him. Now there was no cushion, no distractions, just the jibes and the mockery. More than anything, Pelops wished to sail out into the Mediterranean and stop on some distant island. He didn't care if there was a monster to slay there or a quest waiting. He just wanted out. Pelops ran all the way out of the palace and into the city streets, where the rushing chaos of city life calmed him. He was a prince, the grandson of Zeus. Whatever his father said, he'd find a way to be something, do something. If not today, soon. Tantalus stood staring at a fountain in his courtyard, turning a gold coin over in his hand. His stomach was writhing. It was just too frustrating. Pelops was such an average boy. Surely it couldn't be Tantalus's fault. He was the son of Zeus, a mighty king, wealth beyond imagining, a frequent guest on Mount Olympus, home of the gods. Unfortunately, that was where the gods' consideration for Tantalus ended. They were so damned superior, always asking his opinion on mortal affairs, and then laughing at his answers. When he was a boy, Zeus used to sit down with him to play a game and then use magic to win every time. As a lesson, he'd said. Well, Tantalus had learned something all right. He'd learned that gods were not superior to mortals. They just cheated. Someone had to teach them a lesson. Tantalus hurled his coin into the fountain in frustration. He was so close to the respect he craved, yet it was always just out of reach. He could almost taste it. Taste. Why did the word conjure his father's face before his mind? Zeus was always going on about the gods' superior palates. He claimed that they appreciated the flavor of meats in a way no human tongue could. Tantalus had always dismissed it as nonsense. It wasn't the gods' palates that were unusual, it was their appetites. He doubted Zeus would know the difference between wild boar and another kind of meat. 
Suddenly, Tantalus's lips curled into a wicked smile. He had just had the most horrible thought, a disgusting, wicked, evil, wonderful idea, something that would solve all his problems at once. He would shame the gods and prove that he was their equal, and as an added benefit, he would rid himself of his embarrassment of a son. But first, he had some cooking to do. Servants, send someone to the market and ready a messenger for Olympus. We're going to host a feast the gods will never forget. Pelops came home that afternoon to a strange scene. He'd never seen the royal palace so bustling. Normally, his father kept a quiet hall. He was so snappy at anyone who disturbed him that the servants never risked making noise. Clearly, today was an exception. But the strangest detail of all was the cluster of servants near the kitchen door, whispering with wide eyes. Pelops pulled one of them aside and demanded an explanation. He was shocked by the answer. Apparently, his father had invited the gods for a feast, and he was cooking the meal himself. Pelops narrowed his eyes. This was bizarre. His father could barely be bothered to lift grapes to his own mouth. Despite that horrible talk this morning, he had to go into the kitchen and investigate this spontaneous feast. Father, you're cooking? Why? Unfortunately for Pelops, the kitchen was the last place he should have gone. Within minutes of entering the door, he found himself facing down a butcher's knife in his father's hands. Coming up, Pelops finds himself on the chopping block. Listeners, have you heard the eerie new podcast, Superstitions? Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this mystifying series from Parcast. You do not want to miss it. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Tantalus stared into his broiling pots with a delighted grin. Bloody knife in hand and the remains of his special slab of meat still on the butcher's block. This sort of murder was normally considered unforgivable. He felt a slight nausea rise in his throat as he walked to a basin and started scrubbing his palms. And his grin faded. Blood swirled in the bowl. But it was better this way. 
The boy would have just been a disappointment to himself as well as his father. Eventually, he would have realized he wasn't cut out to be a hero or a king. This way, he went to good use. He didn't live in vain. In fact, Tantalus felt a twinge of affection stir in his heart as the last tendrils of blood washed off his hands and disappeared into the murky waters of the basin. Really, he'd never loved his son more. His sacrifice would secure his father's legacy forever. The gods would feast, and then Tantalus would reveal the truth, claiming his place as their equal. As evening approached, the gods descended from Olympus, some in their chariots, some on wings in animal form, Iris on the back of her rainbow, the last golden light of day caught on golden adornments, feathers, and sumptuous fabrics. It illuminated faces so beautiful they were almost blinding. It was a glorious sight, but one that only made Tantalus more eager to begin. Last to arrive was Zeus, in all his familiar, regal, laughing beauty. For the briefest moment, Tantalus felt a glimmer of hesitation. Surely it was folly to attempt to fool such unparalleled creatures. But it was too late to turn back now, and he wouldn't if he could. This was his chance, his opportunity to show his father that he was as mighty as any Olympian. Welcome to my home, a lowly mortal palace, and yet I'm honored to show you to my table tonight and serve you the best food my realm has to offer. I, a king in my own right, have spent the day slaving in the kitchen like a common servant, all to offer you something from my own heart, my own sweat, my own blood. <laughs> Son, no need to be so formal. You know we love feasting with our favorite mortals. We haven't seen you on Olympus enough lately. Ah, yes. I love nothing more than coming to Olympus, but the work of a king, you know, can't be gone too much. But, as you said, now is the time to eat and be merry. Please, everyone, sit. And so the glorious feast began, first with wine and bread and figs, and then with fowl arrayed in fragrant sauces. The gods ate heartily, their appetites greater than any mortal stomachs could contain. The evening grew rowdy. The wine kept flowing. In fact, Zeus was so jovial, he wanted to spread the mirth. <laughs> Tantalus, tell us, where is my grandson? Pelops must be a man now. He's welcome to dine with the Olympians. Call him to the table. Oh, my son, I would certainly call him, except I can't. You see, he's, well, he's out training, deep in the local forest, far from here. Like so many youths, you know, he's determined to go on adventures. Zeus stared thoughtfully at Tantalus. He looked like he was about to press further. 
Tantalus felt a torrent of disjointed excuses rush to his tongue. But then the god simply shrugged and went back to draining his wine. When his cup was once again empty, he turned away from Tantalus and towards Athena, who sat by his side. As always, choosing the company of Olympians over his own son. But Tantalus wouldn't be distracted by those thoughts. He surveyed the room, a sly smile growing across his face. Nerves were starting to eat at him, but what could go wrong now, with whole casks of wine in the gods' bellies and the mood so merry? Now was the moment. He gestured at a servant waiting behind his chair. Bring in the stew. The servant dutifully brought out the steaming dish Tantalus had spent so much time and effort preparing. The aroma of the spices, so strategically applied, filled the air and covered the scent of the meat beneath. What an interesting dish, my son. It has a strange scent to it. What have you served us? It's a favorite dish here in my kingdom, Zeus. The tenderest meat you've ever tasted. The most flavorful. I know you will love it. Please, take a bite. Try it. So, you urge me to eat this dish? Of course, please eat. You won't be disappointed. Is there something wrong? For shame. To think you are my son, to serve such a disgusting dish. Do you think I cannot tell what's in this bowl? Do you think us fools? Uh, mighty Zeus, there must be some mistake. It's simply stew with a delicious wild boar. You have stepped far beyond your station, far beyond what the gods would ever accept from any mortal. You out of all of them, you should have known better. I don't know what you're talking about. Perhaps one of my servants you bought the wrong kind of meat at the market. You ate with us a million times on Olympus. Had the privilege of tasting our ambrosia. I assure you, whatever crime you think I committed... And now you've served us your own son! In a swift, furious clatter of motion, the gods rose to their feet, towering over the table. Their robes seemed to billow with energy. Their eyes glowed like burning arrows. Artemis brought her hand to her bow, Ares to his sword, and every mouth in the room twisted with terrifying rage. They'd come to eat and drink. Instead, they'd been insulted. They knew this was more than a disgusting meal. It was a sign that Tantalus thought he was above them, that he could fool them. Zeus stared down Tantalus, who stood frozen under those burning eyes, desperately trying to think of something, anything that could get him out of this. With every moment, he seemed to shrink as Zeus grew and grew. The god's expression darkened. Lightning crackled in his eyes. His hands rose up like the branches of some ancient tree. A great wind swept through the room, building in strength around Tantalus. He felt his sandals lift off the floor. Amidst the terrible gusts, Zeus's voice rose like a force of nature. We will not show you mercy. Tantalus, my own son, 
I banish you to Hades and to a cursed feast of my making. You'll stand in a pool of water, thirsty but unable to drink. Your hands will reach for the boughs above you, laden with beautiful fruit, but you will never be able to reach them. You'll stand there, ravenous, parched, trapped, forever. The gods watched quietly, many of them grinning, as their host writhed at the center of Zeus's rabid winds. Tantalus wailed, his clothes ripping to shreds, and a moment later, he vanished. But as the last gust of wind carried away their murderous host, the gods were left looking at those appalling bowls of stew. What to do with them? Fortunately, Zeus had a solution for that, too. Pelops felt like his head had been filled with soot. Even his eyelids were too heavy to move. But slowly, sensation was flooding his body. He felt something cold and hard beneath him. He was lying on a marble floor, and something shining through the dark fog crowding his head. Light. There was light on the other side of his eyelids. Slowly, laboriously, Pelops gathered his will and forced his eyes open. He was lying on the floor of his father's hall, surrounded by the gods of Mount Olympus. He sat up slowly. What was he doing here? He couldn't remember. Everything felt so vague, like his mind had been coated in heavy mist. Then a crackle of fire snapped near his ear, and like sunlight slicing through fog, it all came flooding back. The argument in the morning, the kitchen in the afternoon, the butcher's knife in his father's hands, the searing pain, the spouting blood. Then the banks of the river Styx, the mists of the underworld. Pelops's heart raced at the memory. His body tingled. It was impossible. And yet, with the gods, anything was possible. After his own murder, he was once again alive. <laughs> Grandson, you awaken. Excellent. I I do. But how did this happen? Who can I thank for bringing me back? The Moirai. The three fates have set your father's crimes right. They collected each bowl of his stew, brewed it with their time-weaving, and recovered you from Hades. And my father? Is he alive? He has taken your place in the underworld, where he'll suffer grievously for what he's done. But you shall live, good as new, or almost good as new. Demeter was a bit distracted by the recent loss of her daughter, and took a bite of the stew before realizing what was in it. It seems... well, it seems she ate your shoulder. She did? But never fear, she's given you an ivory shoulder, a very fine replacement. Pelops, overwhelmed and confused, stared up at the jovial god. 
He slowly allowed himself to smile back. Then he dragged himself up off the floor, one limb at a time, and turned to the Moirai, three hooded female figures standing amongst the gods. Pelops bowed. The Moirai laughed kindly at the confused young man. They took his arms and led him toward his father's empty seat at the table. The drama of the evening had been quite satisfactory. Clotho especially was pleased with how it had gone, as the life-giving fate, she had played the largest role in recovering this lost youth. But now the work was done. It was time to eat, drink, and be merry. But one Olympian was watching Pelops closer than the others. Poseidon had been hanging back throughout the entire ordeal, but now that the youth was alive again, he could not look away. He observed the confusion and vulnerability in the youth's beautiful open face. And as he did, he almost felt a heartbeat skip in his own immortal chest, the way a red flush colored into the prince's pale cheeks at the sight of the gods, the way his hair fell so perfectly on his shoulders. But it was when Pelops started to smile that Poseidon realized that there was only one path forward. He had to have the prince for his own. Coming up, Pelops finds that being alive doesn't necessarily mean getting his life back. Now, back to the story. In the wake of Tantalus's deception and Pelops's rebirth, the gods of Mount Olympus got right back to feasting. The slaughter and rebirth of the boy were nothing to them but an amusement that had passed. For Pelops, however, it was harder to laugh off what he'd been through. He couldn't have been more grateful or happier to be rescued by the gods. But the prince was still reeling from his father's betrayal and the fact that the only family he had left was now in Hades. So Pelops was relieved when Poseidon leaned over and suggested they get some fresh air somewhere quieter. I noticed that you didn't quite seem to be in the mood to celebrate. I'm not surprised. You've had a strange day. Yes, the strangest. Tell me about it, Pelops. Words hardly seem adequate. I keep expecting my father to appear and scold me for dining with the gods. I still can't believe that he's gone. Forever. He was cruel, but... He was still your father. Yes. And he was the one constant in my life. Since my mother died, I've always felt that I had to prove something to him. And now there's nothing to prove. Or at least no one to prove it to. Exactly! I always wanted to slay monsters, win battles, and accomplish mighty feats. But now, without my father to stop me, I can. And yet... You're still young, Pelops. You've been through a lot today. You'll find your path, your own path. Not the one Tantalus set you on. In the meantime, you just need some time and space to think and rest, away from all this madness. You're right. I think that would help. If you'd like, 
I have just the place. You can come with me to my palace deep beneath the sea, and when you're ready, you'll return to the world of mortals renewed for whatever adventures you choose to pursue. Pelops turned to Poseidon with a shy, appreciative smile. It felt strange to be treated so kindly. Poseidon proffered his hand, and Pelops took it without hesitation. From a balcony in the palace high above, the Moirai watched as the pair ascended the palace steps and headed toward the river. Clotho turned towards her sisters and sighed. It seems that we have given the youth his life back, only to watch a greedy god steal it once again. Clotho was right. Poseidon's cavernous palace at the bottom of the Mediterranean was beautiful. It was made of coral and gems, and more lovely than anything Pelops had ever seen. Even after a life of luxury as a wealthy prince, everywhere there were graceful statues, so lifelike they looked like real people that had been frozen in time. And Pelops, amongst all that splendor, quickly grew lonely. He wasn't lonely the way he'd been in Tantalus's palace. There he'd had a few friends and allies amongst the servants and in the city, even if his father remained distant. Here he felt Poseidon's affection, but even spending time as the lover of a god was not completely fulfilling, especially with Poseidon always leaving the palace, ruling over the sea. And there was no one else just those strange statues and the constant rush of water. Back on land, at least he'd been free to wander the streets and take in the bustling life around him, but there was no leaving Poseidon's palace, and when the sea god was gone, no one to talk to but the fish. Poseidon had said the tranquility here would help Pelops find his path. But the longer Pelops spent in Poseidon's palace and in the gods' arms, the foggier his dreams of life amongst mortals became. He wasn't sure how much time was passing, but he knew that each day he had less energy. Some days he struggled to find the motivation to crawl out of Poseidon's bed. As time wore on, a dark thought formed in Pelops's increasingly muddled brain. Perhaps the Moirai had not really fully brought him back to life. Perhaps a part of him had somehow been left behind in that cauldron of stew, the energetic, determined part. Perhaps it had been embedded in his shoulder. He still felt enough energy to be appalled at the thought. He wanted to be alive, the way he'd been before. Pelops stared wistfully out at the waves, hope draining from his young frame, as Poseidon whispered soft, sweet words into his ear. Every phrase melded with the constant thrum of the sea god's waters, like a lullaby. And Pelops sunk deeper into his ennui, when helpless tears streamed down Pelops's cheeks, Poseidon smiled, brushed them aside, and kissed him again. Why do I feel like this, Poseidon? 
so... empty. It's because of love, Pelops. That's all. Love is not easy for mortals. It can feel quite strange at first. But isn't it the most important thing there is? The most valuable? It is. A gift. A precious gift. If you feel yourself slipping away beneath the waves, know that's nothing compared to the anguish I would feel if I lost you. Pelops nodded, sinking slowly, languorously back into the god's bed. Poseidon was strong and gentle, a beguiling combination in any partner. Perhaps this was what loving a god felt like. Time passed at the bottom of the ocean until one day, something broke the pattern. Poseidon was out amongst the waves, but Pelops heard something. It wasn't the endless, lulling sound of water, nor was it Poseidon's confident footsteps returning. These were footsteps, but soft, like a dancer's. They seemed to inspire the entire empty palace to echo, almost to sing. Pelops felt the sensation of curiosity run through his body for the first time since he'd left land, which led to surprise, again a now unfamiliar emotion. He started to run, not sure where he was going or what he was looking for, until he found her. It was Clotho, the Moirai who'd brought him back to life. She was standing before a window overlooking the depths of the sea. She turned fixing him with her piercing gaze. Pelops, you found me. Clotho, what a wonderful surprise. No one ever comes down to our palace. Our palace? So, you feel at home here, Pelops? I, well, I mean, I live here. Pelops, I'm not staying long, but I decided I had to come here and speak to you. The gods on Mount Olympus have forgotten you, or they chuckle when they think of you down here in Poseidon's web and shrug. But when I dragged you from that cauldron for a second chance at life, it was so you could live. Do you call this living? I'm not sure what you mean. You haven't been feeling sluggish? Drained? Well, I suppose, yes. That does sort of describe it. How did you know? Pelops, really? You're being dense. Have you not thought about what it means to be down here, boy? How Poseidon's domain might not be meant for a mortal like you? So you think I feel this... haze... this inertia... because I'm mortal, stuck in a god's world? Yes, Pelops. If you learned anything from your father's betrayal, it should have been that mortals are never playing the same game as the gods because the gods make the rules. To the Olympians, mortals are here to be used, nothing more. Well, Demeter did eat my shoulder. Gods above, Pelops. Trust me when I say I am not the one playing games with you. You are free to stay here, wrapped in Poseidon's lulling waves, another beautiful statue in his halls. Or you could listen to the prophecy I have for you. Uh, please, go ahead. An oracle has told King Enemaeus of Pisa that he will be killed by his own son-in-law. So, to avoid that fate, he's locked away his daughter, Hippodamia, killing all her suitors and forcing her to be his own lover. 
The Moirai must be displeased that he's trying to thwart fate. We're not worried. Fate will always triumph. More to the point, I think fate calls your name here. If you do want to return to the mortal realm where you can be your own man, consider these words and find your place in them. I certainly feel for Princess Hippodamaya. If my father knew I would be the death of him, he probably would have locked me away too. <laughs> well, that's a start. Consider your path carefully, and you'll find your way. But I had better go before Poseidon arrives and kicks me out for meddling with his plaything. Just remember, even if you're living amongst gods, you're mortal, and you only have one life. Pelops stood staring after the Moirai. For the first time since he'd come down to the bottom of the sea, the wheels in his brain started to turn. How had he failed to see it? The fog, the lethargy, he'd been drifting into oblivion. And Poseidon hadn't cared. Poseidon had been happy. Poseidon had encouraged his ennui with those sweet-sounding whispers. They were like magic. Because Poseidon didn't want Pelops to be happy or fulfilled or to find his path in the mortal world. Poseidon wanted Pelops, period, for himself, trapped at the bottom of the sea forever. Clotho was right. He had to get out, back to land, back to life, back to his own destiny. Even if it meant defying a god, just like his father before him. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. Find out what happens when Pelops turns against his immortal lover in favor of a human princess. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with the conclusion of this epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Nora Battelle. With writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin. And research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, and Tiana Camacho. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.